and we're going to jump in. Lord, I love you, and I thank you so much for grace. And I thank you for everybody that's here and confess that we need you right now. Would you please speak uh, to us? You promise that you know your sheep and your sheep hear your voice. And so speak, Lord, your servants are listening. And I'm asking for this grace in the name of your son, Jesus. Amen. All right. If you remember, we cannot measure God. (laughs) We'd love to. Wouldn't it be great if we could control him and put him in a box and control God? Uh, we can't, and if we did, it would, it would go to the worst extremes if we could have God in a bottle. We can't do that. He's immeasurable. He's his spirit. The earth is like a footstool to him. You don't measure God. But you can measure the presence of God based on creation. Romans one twenty, the very created order speaks of the invisible attributes of God. The evidence of Jesus, the Gospels. The New Testament, there are thousands of Greek manuscripts that demonstrate the reliability of the New Testament. Uh, it, it is one of the most supported uh, ancient writings that we have. And then today, though, I want to focus on me and you. The evidence of the church. The evidence of faith and life of followers of Jesus. That's what I want to focus on. Um, and, and lots and lots of scripture. These are the scriptures that we're going to go through. And you're welcome to follow with me, dig in. We're going to start in Matthew chapter 5, if you want to turn there. Matthew chapter 5. And we're going to begin at verse 13. And, and if you could frame in, as you read these texts, frame in that we're talking about influence. We're talking about light. That we are the evidence of Jesus. Okay, so this is, these are Jesus' words to his followers, verse 13. You're the salt of the earth, but if the salt has become tasteless, how can it be made salty again? It's no longer good for anything except to be thrown out and trampled underfoot by people. You are the light of the world. A city set on a hill cannot be hidden, nor do people light a lamp and put it under a basket but on the lampstand and it gives light to all who are in the house. Your light must shine before people in such a way that they may see your good works and glorify your father who's in heaven. I want to make a brief comment about salt for a moment. Um, It's a bit of a mystery on what Jesus means. You're the salt of the earth. Uh, In our culture, we think of the salt shaker, right? That's at at your table and you salt your food, your potatoes, or your steak, or french fries, or something. That's in all likelihood not what he's talking about. He's probably talking about this. Women were the, the bakers in the home, right? And outside of their home, they would have a clay and stone oven. And the, inside the clay and stone oven were plates of salt. They would collect salt, and they would pack it down, tamp it down, and make little plates, and they would line that oven with the salt. It increased uh, the effectiveness of the function of the oven. It increased uh, the quality of the bread. But when it was burned up, what would they do with that salt? They'd take it out and throw it down, and people would walk on it. All right? That's possibly what Jesus has in mind, is a woman scraping out the useless salt and throwing it on the ground. Uh, is, it, is it table seasoning? Sure, but that's possibly not what he has in mind because you don't throw out table seasoning and people walk on it. You don't do that. 
You put it on your food and you just eat it. So he's probably talking about the salt plates that would line an oven in the ancient culture. You're the light of the world. Uh, all of us are very, very uh, logical, commonsensical people. You don't put a candle under a basket or something like that. It certainly cause a house fire. But it's designed that your light must shine before people in such a way that they may see your good works. Boy, can I unpack that really quickly? People need to see us, and what they see needs to be good. How's that? People need to see us, and what they see needs to be good. It's really that simple. Your light must shine before people in such a way that they may see your good works and glorify your Father who's in heaven. Let's go to Acts 4. I love Acts 4. It's an amazing story of God's grace in the life of the the apostles as they're launching the Christian mission. And this is what it says in Acts 4. Almost there. Okay. So verse 13, we'll start. um, Well, yeah. Let's start at verse 5. 4, 5. On the next day, their rulers and elders and scribes were gathering together in Jerusalem, and Annas the high priest was there, and Caiaphas and John and Alexander and all who are of high priestly descent. So we've got a team of high-level, very religious people who are in positions of profound theological and political authority, lots of authority of these men. When they'd place them in the center, they began to inquire, by what power or by what name have you done this? There was a healing miracle. Then Peter, filled with the Holy Spirit, said to them, rulers and elders of the people, if we are on trial today for a benefit done to a sick man as to how this man has been made well, let it be known to all of you and to all of the people of Israel that by the name of Jesus Christ, the Nazarene, whom you crucified, Boy, Peter just threw a punch. (laughs) He was not going to hold back the one that you crucified, whom God raised from the dead. By this name, this man stands here before you in good health. He is the stone which was rejected by you. Again, there's a second punch. He's not holding back. The builders, but which became the chief cornerstone. And there is salvation in no one else. There's no name under heaven that has been given among mankind by which we must be saved. Now, as they observed the confidence of Peter and John and understood that they were uneducated and untrained men, literally in Greek, no letters, they were unlettered men, they were amazed and they began to recognize them as having been with Jesus. There it is. And seeing the man who had been healed standing with them, they had nothing to say in reply. That is is so beautiful to me. Let me focus just a little bit on it. Um, when, When you and I are in, we're in political trouble, we're in financial trouble, we're at work, we're in trouble, and we're being, we're being scrutinized. Our confidence is very powerful. Our confidence is very, very powerful. 
I remember um, I was uh, asked by a lawyer to uh, go to a virtual hearing, and one of the judges uh, had approved that I be there, and I was arguing for my observations, my clinical observations of this particular person in question. And uh, the defense attorney of the one who was guilty of a massive crime, a major crime, when I watched him on camera, he was squirming. Doctor, you know these things, the psychomotor gestures. The reduced eye contact, he wouldn't look. He, he, was, he looked down to the left. Little gestures that indicated that this attorney lacks confidence and realizes he's about to lose his case. And it was so obvious. He lacked confidence. Now, the attorney that had asked me to come in and speak was cool as a cat. Confident, not sweating bullets. The other guy was. Okay. When you and I, as Christians, have confidence, there's power in that. But you know what else is really powerful? Having the heel guy stand right next to you. <laughs> the, guy, the guy that was healed is standing right. What are you going to say? He's standing right here. And so Peter and John, they realize this is, this is a God thing. God is at work through Jesus in the name of his son, Jesus. And the man who's healed is standing right there. And the authorities had nothing to say. The line, they recognized them as having been with Jesus. They knew. They already knew that. Uh, verse 2 at the beginning, they knew they walked with Jesus or one of the disciples. So that's not new. Uh, but when it means that they had been with Jesus, you know what it means? They actually began to follow the teachings of Jesus. They started saying the things that Jesus would say. And they started doing the things that Jesus would do. And guess what that means? It means they're disciples. It means they're followers of Jesus. So remember, the whole point of the teaching today is that how we live, how I live, how you live, is some of the best and most effective evidence for the existence of God. They saw that these men had been with Jesus. And that is beautiful. Let's look at Acts chapter 19. This is really a fascinating story. Uh, terribly uh, sad, but also even humorous in a way. Um, verse 13. Let's start at verse 13. Some of the Jewish exorcists who went from place to place attempted to use the name of the Lord Jesus over those who had evil spirits. And they're trying to copy, they're trying to mimic what the disciples do without being born again. So that's a mess. And so these, these Jewish exorcists are saying, I order you in the name of Jesus whom Paul preaches to, you know, for the demon to come out, etc. Now, there were seven sons of Sceva. Right? There's a dude that had seven kids. He was a Jewish chief priest. This is a powerful man. And he was doing this. But the evil spirit responded and said to Sceva, I recognize Jesus and I know of Paul. Who are you? Who are you that you're babbling on about Jesus, right? That's just another example in the New Testament that there are people 
who, who live lives in such a way that they're hypocrites. They're fakes, they're imposters. And Satan knows that. Devils, the devil knows that. Demons know that. And yet there are those who are literal disciples of Jesus, like Paul, and the demons fear them. Turn to 2 Corinthians chapter 4. Uh, I taught on, on Corinthians years ago here. You might remember from the teaching that in Corinth, they had some interesting manufacturing uh, companies there. One of them would make musical instruments, and they would hammer up brass products and things. But another is they developed a technology. It's really fascinating. They developed a technology that they could make a clay pot, a small clay vessel, with a really thin wall. Really thin. Actually, it was fragile. All right? It was really fragile, but it was very, very thin. And when you put the oil in it and you lit it, it glowed because the wall of it was so thin. And so hold that in mind as I read this now. So Paul writes in, in 2 Corinthians 4.3, And even if our gospel is veiled, it's veiled to those who are perishing, in whose case the God of this world has blinded the minds of the unbelieving so that they will not see the light of the gospel of the glory of Christ. By the way, just a quick comment about people who are blinded to spiritual things. Do you remember I, I taught you guys, it's been several weeks ago now, What's the number one reason why uh, people deconstruct and abandon faith? What's the number one reason why? Is it because they, they, they discovered radical convincing evidence that there's no God? Is that it? <coughs> Not at all. What's the number one reason? Do you remember? Do you know? I think it's because they want to do what they want to do. Exactly. It's a lifestyle issue. They want to have a lifestyle that they choose, typically very carnal, very worldly. And guess what? They don't want a bad case of the guilties. <laughs> Who wants to sin and then have guilt? That's no fun. You want to be able to sin and really enjoy it, right? And so if you feel miserable and guilty doing it, then that kind of ruins it. And so guess what? If you can deconstruct and say, well, there's no God and there's no Jesus and it's just religion and it's just the church and, and, and the church, by the way, has no right to tell me how to live. And, you know, they start buying that idea uh, come on, it's, you haven't figured out there's no God. Come on. What you don't like is the irritation that the church is trying to guide, your moral, guide you morally, and you can't stand that. And you don't want the guilty, so you deconstruct it and do what you want. So, and that's what Satan does. He blinds us, blinds the minds of the unbelieving. Okay, verse 5. For we do not preach ourselves, but Christ Jesus our Lord, and ourselves as your bondservants on account of Jesus for God who said, light shall shine out of darkness, is the one who has shown in our hearts to give the light of the knowledge of the glory of God in the face of Christ. You want to see what God looks like? Look at Jesus. Verse 7. But we have this treasure in earthen containers. So that the extraordinary greatness of the power um, will be of God and not from ourselves. We are that extraordinarily fragile little container, that earthen container, holding the gospel of Jesus Christ. And because we're so fragile and our wall is so thin, because we're transparent people, we're honest, we're not hypocrites, we're transparent about our strengths, our weaknesses, all, all our stuff, the light of Jesus shines through. We're glowing 
with this extraordinary thing, the gospel. So the glory of God that's seen in the face of Christ is revealed in us, these frail little little bulbs holding oil that has a wick and we're literally growing. That is the treasure in the earthen vessels that we have. Uh, look at Ephesians 5. Ephesians 5. Paul speaking very, very uh, passionately to the church uh, in Ephesus. By the way, living in, Eph- in Ephesus was like saying you're living in, I don't know, New York, Chicago, pretty rough city, a very, very secular, very polytheistic, a plethora of religions. They're known for their magic, the magical arts, really kind of rough place to be for Christian. So verse seven, Paul says, therefore, do not become partners with them. You can't engage in culture and be a part of it. For you were once darkness, but now you're light. Remember, Jesus said, you're the light of the world. Let your light shine before people and what they see is good in you. You're the light of the Lord. Walk as children of light. For the fruit of the light consists of goodness, righteousness, and truth. As you try to learn what is pleasing to the Lord. Do not participate in the useless deeds of darkness, but instead even expose them. Call it for what it is. For it is disgraceful even to speak of the things which are done by them in secret. But all things uh, become visible when they are exposed by the light. For everything that becomes visible is light. All right, let's do one more. Um, Let's do Philippians 2. Philippians 2. There are, there's probably, probably at the core of the, of the church at Philippi, the, the main, one of the main reasons why Paul is even writing the whole letter, one of the main reasons, is that there are two women who can't get along there. Euodian and Tyche. And it's possible that these women have some kind of leadership capacity in the, in the one church, or there might be two. Probably one. And the, the, power bro- the power issues between these two ladies is so severe, it's so critical, Paul has to write the letter to the Philippian church. And he goes at great length to talk about uh, examples and what it means to be honorable. And in chapter two, he's, he's presenting the examples of, of Timothy and, and Epaphroditus and all these things. And he says to these, to these Christians... Verse 14, 214. Do all things without complaining or arguing, grumbling, arguing, so that you will prove yourselves to be blameless and innocent children of God. He really has probably you, Odie, and Syntyche in mind. Okay? And their little fan clubs. You know what a fan club is in church? You know? Odia and her close friends, her prayer partners. Uh-huh, right. And then Syntyche and her close friends, her prayer No. They're little, little gossip power groups is what they are. And they're trying to cover it up and saying they're prayer buddies. You've got to prove yourselves to be blameless and innocent. Children of God above reproach in the midst of a crooked and literally bent, bent and perverse generation. Among whom you appear as lights in the world. It's interesting. There's two ways to take that phrase. You appear as lights in the world. One Exactly the way Jesus intended that. You're like a city uh, set on a hill, be that obvious. Or uh, a lamp on a lampstand, be that obvious. Or possibly it's referring to stars. 
that you're like a constellation. So the Vulgate, the Latin translation of the Greek New Testament, translates this phrase luminaria, the luminaries, the stars. Scholars are divided, but a lot of very, very critical uh, heavyweight scholars argue that Paul is thinking about constellations. Another reason why is because in chapter 2, Paul says, what's the deal with you guys? You're fixating on the sun and the moon and the stars, like the times and the seasons. And like, like that's important. Pay attention to the moon. And Paul, I think, barring the, the language of the heavenly luminaries, the bodies of the heaven, sun, moon, Paul's saying, look, if you really want to know what's important, don't worry about the moon and lunar cycles. You guys function like stars. That's what I want you to do. And you will be like stars, beautiful uh, stars, when you stop the complaining and the arguing with your opponents. Stop being somebody that causes trouble in church. Three kinds of people in church, those that make problems, those that expose them, and those that fix them. Boy, I love the fixer people. You know, we got to learn to fix problems and not just expose them and certainly create them. All right, I want to turn this over to you guys. So I've given you a little snapshot there of Matthew 5 and Philippians. What are some of the ways that you and I can be the light of the world and the salt of the earth? Number one, by the brilliance and wisdom of biblical marriage and family. People are longing for family. I, I, people come in to see me at the clinic. It, it, it is mind-boggling how many males and females see me who have no functional mom and dad. None. And, and I, I, one recently texted me and said, I've had no example of what it means to be this or that. No example of how to be a father. No example of how to be a wife or a mother. It is, it, it, it's an epidemic in our culture. We as Christians can live out the gospel in our marriage and our family. Another way we can is by fruit of the spirit and being a peacemaker. What a way to shine like the stars, to be a lamp on a lampstand or to be like a city on a hill. Another way, be truth tellers. Just tell the truth. Stop the lying. Stop the lying. Forgive. Forgive. Have you ever noticed how hard it is to be around bitter people? You ever noticed? It's hard. And bitterness is like, it's almost contagious, you know, because what they do, they share their bitter things with you and then they're waiting for you to like agree with them (laughs) because bitter people love it when you join their cause. And and they're just adding you to their group at that point. It's just getting infectious. So forgiveness is healthy. It is beautiful. Uh, Being gracious and being humble. Uh, Wow. Man, that would be an amazing person to hang out with. Um, Sexual purity. Boy, we're, we're in a culture. It is the most upside down crazy just in that one area. Number seven, honoring and respecting authority. Learning to respect authority. Yes, sir. No, sir. Yes, ma'am. No, ma'am. Learning how to handle authority and to not get that chip on the shoulder. You don't have a right to tell me what to do. Yes, I do. I'm paying your salary. I do have a right to tell you what to do. And if you want to stay employed here, you do these things. If you're unwilling to do those things, then we're going to separate, which is a really soft way of saying I'm going to fire your butt. 
We've got to learn to be people under authority. Uh, the conviction to say no when everyone says yes. And then emergency preparedness and service. You might say, what? That doesn't sound very Christian. Actually, it does. Let me explain. When Jesus said, uh, beware, listen, watch. And he said there was these ten virgins that had their lamps. What did he tell them? What did the five smart virgins do? What did they do? They had backup oil and backup wicks. And the other five didn't. And when the oil ran out, they said, oh, I've got to stop the watch party. You know, I, I, I want to win the game with you gals. It was a game. Who's going to catch the groom coming to get the bride? And they go back and they miss the party. Okay. There is something about emergency preparedness. For one, it's smart for you and your family. But also, what about you serving other people? You know. Be ready. Be ready. Be wise. Proverbs 6. Be like the ant. Be like an ant. In summer, what does the ant do? Prepares for winter. Long, hard, hard months. Okay. All right. There you go. Now, remember, you're the church. I want to challenge you to use uh, polite language, dignified language, language appropriate for all. And I want you to speak as though Jesus is speaking through you. How do we handle the burden, the command, the obligation that Jesus said we are the primary evidence for the existence of God? It's us. And, you know, it's a little bit dangerous when you when you buy your your Christian science book that says, here's 20 reasons why the earth is young. And because of these reasons that the earth is young, it means God created the heavens and the earth. Gotcha. Checkmate. Bum. Throw the book at him. There. Yeah. God exists. Yeah. And I proved it with science. Yeah. You know. Like, like, we're, like we're powerful people or we've got that kind of a damaged ego. What, how, does that, how is that salt and light to do that? Throw a science book at somebody. Does it accomplish much? Not at all. Not at all. If you put me in a room with somebody like that and they say to me, hey, Chris, is it okay if I tell you about some of the most important things in my life? I'm like, yes, I want to hear it all. What's going on? Why, why are you like that? And then they're going to tell me about Jesus. Do you know the conviction that's going to bring on me? How that's going to hit my heart? But if the guy throws a science book at me and says, here's 20 reasons why the earth is young, it might just put me in the mood to argue. You know? You're the church. We are mandated. Jesus expected. Jesus expected his followers to function like salt, function like light, and do it in front of people so that they can see there's something good inside of us. And that good is Jesus. So here's, and by the way, we could make a hundred entries on the list of ways that we show the character of Jesus. Christ Church, own this thing. Take responsibility for it. We're the salt of the earth. We're the light of the world. What do we, how do we do it? What has to happen between our ears for us to finally say, I choose that life. I'm going to choose the life of life-giving faith 
I'm going to be that thin, walled, fragile little piece of clay with the oil of the Spirit in me and the, the presence of God in me glowing. What has to happen in the head and the heart for us to be those kinds of Christians? Go ahead. Yes, Denise. Well, I kind of feel that when you decide that you are going to go all in and become dedicated to do something, yes, we are human. There's times that we maybe are not as good at making our goals as we want to make, but we can ask the Holy Spirit for help. But at the same time, we have to take the steps. We must open that Bible every day. Sure. We need to be on our knees in prayer every day. Yeah. We need to be doing the things that will grow us up spiritually. Yeah. You know, we don't, it's like if you're a child, if you don't eat your vegetables, you're going to end up growing up with a lack of some nutrition. Did you hear that, Isaiah? Did you hear that? <laughs> vegetables. Dory, vegetables. Really important. Yep. Yep. Exactly. So we have to do the steps, but the Holy Spirit will infill us and do the rest. Yeah. So we take the steps of being in the Word and understanding what the Lord is telling us. And we take the steps of being in prayer yeah. and listening to what the Lord is, is leading us to do or not to do, whatever yeah. the case yeah. might be. Yeah. Then the Holy Spirit can do the rest of the work in us. Oh, absolutely. If we don't take those steps, yeah. we yeah. are failing ourselves. Yeah. Denise, I love the language of Second Corinthians 4. We're fragile. We're delicate, thin-walled little vessels, easily broken. We're not perfect people. David? Tagging on what you said, because I had the same thought. Also surrendering everything. The yeah. same thing that you said for Bradley. Yeah. We ourselves cannot, we wouldn't be able to hold up yeah. against all the pressure. Yeah. So we have to surrender our lives and our will to God. Yes, yes. Doing that yeah. brings, it makes us stronger. <clears throat> Yeah, that's good, David. By the way, if you think you don't have time to read your Bible, you ready? I'm going to say one of the meanest things in the world. I'm fixing to get mean and stomp your toes. Take your cell phone and delete your Facebook app, delete your Instagram app, and anything like that, and, and, and fast from it for like 72 hours. And you tell me if you have time to read your Bible. Guess what? You have so much time <laughs> to read your Bible. Or if you really want to feel bad, look at your screen time. Look at that little setting. There. 27 hours. Yeah, you spent 27 hours on screen time. Yep. All right, somebody else. How do we live this out? What is it going to take between the ears, between our, in, our, in our heart, for us to really say, hey, I choose the life of a fragile, transparent vessel that's glowing Jesus. there is there's a lot of authority in what you just said we can talk about the New England Patriots like it's just cool to talk about them or Alabama or pickleball who plays pickleball 
Is that a cop? Pickleball. Like, we'll talk about pickleball like, it's cool, you want to play pickleball, you know? But when it comes to saying the word Jesus, oh, oh no, oh no, no, we don't want to offend anybody. Let me tell you what, what Jesus says in Matthew's Gospel. This is really strong. Therefore, everyone who confesses me before people, I will also confess him before my fathers in heaven. But whoever denies me before people, I will also deny him before my father who is in heaven. When we're ashamed or embarrassed of Jesus, something is radically broken inside of us. And we are ashamed and embarrassed to talk about Jesus in public places. Something is broken inside of us. Because my sheep hear my voice. And I know them and they follow me. Someone else. Choosing to be that fragile little lamp. Just Sometimes when I hear this teaching, I get all, I get all anxious about, am I, doing, am I doing it all right? Am I... Am I being the light that I should be? How can I be? How can I amp up my luminance? And I just think about the model of Jesus. Deconstruction has been around since him, right? People deconstructed Jesus. They said he was demon-possessed. They said he was just a teacher. They said he was crazy, or they just didn't care, right? And so it's not new. It's not new. And Jesus was not anxious about that. He was motivated by love and peace. And he didn't get all upset when people had a misinterpretation of him. And so I just, I appreciate, I've been thinking about that as Jesus is our model as we're trying to be the light of the world. Yeah, yeah. So, so um, Justin, you remember in um, uh, chapter one of John's gospel, John confessed, John the baptizer confessed that Jesus must increase and he must decrease. Okay. If you want to increase your lumens, you de- increase your lumens. You decrease in Jesus. In other words, make it about him and not about you. Uh, if, if you think that the authority to glow has to do with your moral capacity and your moral purity, you're wrong. You're wrong. It's not about your morality glowing. It's about who Jesus is. And that's why the word humility, uh, to be humble, is very important. Because in Paul, if you read Corinthians closely, Paul said again and again and again, it's not about me, it's about Jesus. I came to you in humility. I'm not going to come in power speech and try to get into some speech contest and see who's the best. I'm the least and that's when we glow, Justin, because if it's about us being flawless, perfect people, we destroy ourselves. We destroy ourselves. <clears throat> Someone else. Uh, David? You also said something really good about a year or so ago. You said, read what Jesus said. Read Matthew, Mark, Luke, John. On your heart. Yeah, yeah, I love that, David. Yep, yeah. that's so good. Anybody else? Stephen, anyone online? Okay. Yes, Rhonda.
Sure, sure, absolutely. So, all right, let me give you a little bit of encourage, uh, encouragement, Rhonda, for the people that you're caring for, your family and, and others here. A lot of us have family members who are not Christians, right? And Ryan, you know, your family, my family. Um, Lisa says all the nuts and squirrels are on my side of the family tree. So my family's all jacked up and they all need Jesus big time. So, um, If I make a big deal about the gospel and, and you need to get saved and they say, from what? And I say, you just need to be saved. And, you know, and I'm all using religious language that's confusing. And they see me getting really loud and proud. Getting really loud and proud about God and the gospel. And then when they see how I live, if I live like an atheist, but I'm loud and proud with God. What do you think my, my unsaved family members are going to think of me? Not much. Not much at all. Make sense? Yeah. You can be loud and proud for God. And if you live like an atheist, you're just doing terrible damage to the family, right? So if you will be humble and bring Jesus into the conversation graciously, with a loving, merciful motive. And you start living this stuff out. Wow. Our family members will take notice and they'll say, hey, have you been hanging out with Jesus again? You know, I recognize that you've been with Jesus. Yeah, you're starting to talk like him, act like him, you know, and that's because we are being his disciples. Um, Kindness begets kindness. Anger begets anger. If you think your family members don't respect you, well, are you giving them respect? Anybody else? Anybody? All right. Uh, Yes, sir. That just reminded me of a famous quote that I really liked is uh, preach the gospel at all times and have necessary new words. And so, you know, your actions, like I worked at the bank and some of the meanest people of the church down the street. And you're like, if, if you supposedly have a message I should be, you know, taking in, why do you seem more miserable than I am? Yeah. There, yeah. There's no value in your message because you're not living any different than I am, so what's the point in having a bunch of rules on my life? You know, yeah. that kind of thought Oof. process. Oof. Uh, changing your perspective, changing how you act. Yeah. Um, can, I, can I make a, a quick, can I do a 30-second commercial? Pastors who are ego-tripping, pastors who power-trip on authority are falling apart on the inside. You just don't know it yet. You just don't know it. It might be hidden. But religious people who use anger and authority as a means to do ministry, I'm telling you, there's a, there, some dark stuff on the inside when you do anger. It's, it's bad news, bad news. Joe? Yeah, I mean, I think you just know it on the head. Uh, number five is what all this revolves in. We are far too American in our Christian. Yeah. Chest thumping, brash, loud. Nothing about uh, any of the, the Beatitudes shows up. It's always that big, bold front that comes yeah. in. We have a right to X, Y, Z, and blah, blah, blah. Yeah. If you read the Sermon on the Mount closely, you realize that what Jesus is telling you to do sets you up to be downtrodden. <laughs> Push around. Persecuted. 
anti-American messages ever existed in yeah. a lot of ways. Yeah. But guess what? That's what we're told to do. Yeah. If you're compelled to go one mile, go with him too. If somebody strikes you on the left cheek, turn him in the right cheek also. Yeah. Yeah. But I have a right to. Nope, it's not there. Yeah. Are we going yeah. to do that? Because if we're not, yeah, this, this is the number one way to yeah. evidence Christ and God. is the way yeah. we live. All the yeah. other stuff is a far, far back in his conception. Yeah. But if we're not willing to do what he tells us it takes to get there, yeah, you know, Joe, I saw a reel um, about this church baptizing, and they had a baptistry just like this. And the the muscly preacher dude that was doing the baptizing, <laughs> and and you got the person getting baptized, and he's kind of standing there like this, you know. And the and the pastor dude threw him in the water, like bam, <laughs> you know. And, and the water goes, you know. And I thought, what is this WWE baptism night? And like, if you really want to get baptized, your pastor throws you like you're like he's angry. What? There's no Jesus in that. No. Baptism is about a death. It's about a funeral. We're dying to the old ways. It's, yeah. Yeah, we, we brought, Joe, we brought the Western business model into church. And then we brought into the church along with that, the American ego. And the man, and the demand for power and glory. Yeah, it's a mess. It's a mess. So whenever you see a pastor and he's power tripping with ego and using authority and anger as a means to, to accomplish his agenda, agenda, I guarantee. And by the way, women too, it's both. There are dark things inside and their life is falling apart. You just might not know it yet. All right. Uh, Romans chapter 10. You cannot be a lamp that illumines the room that has light if you're not born again. The clearest, most theologically defined form of the gospel that you find in the New Testament is Romans chapter 10. And Paul writes in Romans 10 verse 8, but what does the scripture say? What does it say? That the word is near you and it's in your mouth and in your heart. That is the word of faith which we are preaching to you. And now he's going to define what a word of faith is. That if you confess with your mouth Jesus as Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. Saved from what? Saved from hell. Save from eternal condemnation. For with the heart a person believes, resulting in righteousness, and with the mouth he confesses, she confesses, resulting in salvation. For the scripture says, whoever believes in him, in Jesus, will not be put to shame. For there's no distinction between Jew and Greek. For the same Lord is Lord of all, abounding in riches for all who call on him. For everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. If you've never called on the name of Jesus, I beg you, please, please do that. What do you say when you, when you pray that prayer? Well, it's, it's got to be something like this. It's got to be, Abba, Father, I have sinned against you and my sin has, has separated me from you. And right now the condemnation of hell is on my life. But I realize that Jesus Christ died on the cross 
to make full payment for the guilt of my sin. I cannot save myself. Only you can save me through Jesus. I'm asking you to do that now. Would you forgive me? And would you let the blood of your son cleanse me from all unrighteousness? And you believe and you trust and you put the full weight of your soul onto him. It's something like Jesus in John's gospel. It says, hey, I'm in you and you're in me. All right, let's borrow that language. You ask Jesus to come inside of you. Step out of heaven and step inside of you. And you put your faith in him and you become his follower and you're born again. And then you're baptized as a way of showing the world that you are an unashamed follower of Jesus. That is the gospel. That is the good news. And when that happens, the wick is lit and you're glowing. And if you would walk in humility and do these things, just the fruit of the Spirit alone is amazing. You will be that fragile, thin-walled, little clay, bulbous cup holding the oil and the presence of God inside of you. And you are filled with the treasure of the kingdom of God. And it's a beautiful thing. If you have given your heart to Jesus, um, I'm going to be in the back. I want you to come talk to me and we'll talk about um, getting baptized. If you've got a question, I want you to to, uh, talk to me, okay? Let me pray over you and we're going to worship. Father, I love you and I thank you. Thank you for the gospel of your son, Jesus. Thank you that we are the, the first evidence. We're the ones that can prove the reality of your son, Jesus, by how we live. I pray that every one of us will make the choice to live as though we've been with your son and to do so graciously in humility, thin-walled, fragile, earthen vessel holding the extraordinary treasure of the gospel of Jesus and your presence in us. Lord, I love you and I thank you. And I beg your blessing on us all now, please. In Jesus' name, amen.